This is the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. Hello, friends, and welcome to a Wednesday Wisdom episode of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast with Jay Gordon Duncan. And if you're wondering why the J, the answer is I am not a bagpipe player. And if that joke doesn't make any sense, I encourage you to check out episode zero where I explain that joke as well as the purpose of the This Is Gonna Hurt podcast. But as to today's episode, our Wednesday Wisdom episodes are this. I am sharing the audio of my sermons from the church I pastor, Evident Grace Fellowship in Fredericksburg, Virginia, as well as sermons from churches I have pastored prior, as well as sermons that I've preached at other places. And I'm sharing them with you for this reason. My sermons are usually not too long. They're between 30 and 40 minutes long. And by sharing them with you, it gives you a chance for some spiritual encouragement midweek. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope it's challenging and encouraging, like I said. And if it is, would you please send me a note at uh, gordon at jgordonnuckin.com or maybe even share this sermon online, Facebook, or on your Instagram story. I hope you enjoy it. So let's get to the sermon. This is James 4, verses 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a sin. Let me see everybody's faces. Let me see how we're doing. Let me see what I got this week. Sometimes I got those bright open faces, and I got some that are a lot going on, and take you guys all in for a minute. I'm very glad you're here. It's good to see you. Um, let me tell you what we're going to do today. This is a uh, seeking God's will and in the New Year type sermon uh, so we're going to look at this this challenging passage of James, and then if God allows with the time at the end, I'm just going to give you guys some some pastoral advice for the new year. As I say each year, God doesn't turn the page of a calendar, but we do. And so uh, we need to pay attention to those rise and falls of cultural movements, and that's what we're going to do today. Uh, let me see if I can get you guys involved. So I'm going to ask for a show of the hands. It's nothing embarrassing, uh, but how many of you have a Netflix subscription? Can you help me out? It's probably most of us, right? Most of us have a Netflix subscription. Uh, how many of you, either by yourself or with someone else, has watched a TV series on Netflix? You know what I'm talking about? Like you've worked your way through a series. Probably most of us, okay? Now, here's what happens. You're at season two, episode three, and you look at the person beside you, and you, you go, hey, let's watch one more episode, and then we're going to go to bed. Or we're going to watch one more episode, then it's time to clean the kitchen, or one more episode. We've all experienced this, right? And so you watch your one more episode. And the moment that episode ends, Netflix does something. In the bottom right-hand corner, it says, episode four starts in, and there's a little counter. You either see it or you don't. But it's letting you know, if you do nothing, the next episode is about to start. And then it's a game. Which one of you has the will to say, hey, we said we're going to go to bed? Or, hey, we said after this episode we're going to clean the dishes. If you don't do anything, guess what Netflix does for you? 
It gives you the next episode. It just delivers it to you. And once that episode starts, it's almost impossible to stop it and go do the thing you said you were going to do, right? Do you know how long Netflix gives you between the end of that episode and the start of the next? Do you know? Yes. Uh, Literally, it's supposed to be nine between the transition, but you only see five seconds. If they told you nine, you thought you'd have the willpower. But it's literally nine seconds, right? And if you don't do anything, next episode starts, and you discover that it's 2.30 in the morning. And you said you were going to go to bed or clean the dishes or whatever you said you were going to do. Now, Netflix knows what they're doing. It's based upon the psychological approach of frictionless decisions. It's a frictionless decision that if you don't do anything, the decision is made for you. There's no friction to stop it. And then you just slide right on into the next episode. Because if you remove friction from a decision, it's so much easier. The more friction, it becomes difficult. We do this in our day-to-day all the time. I'll give you my annoying example in my life. I know that in the morning I'm going to go running, right? So what I do every night is I get my clothes out. I check the weather app, right? What's the temperature tomorrow? So I get out my shoes and my socks, however many shirts I have to wear for the weather, and I put it at the bottom of the steps. Because the first thing I do when I wake up is I go straight downstairs. First thing, I wake up and I go downstairs, and I'm confronted with my running clothes. And I have to make a decision. It's an easy decision because of the clothes are there. So that means I, need, I actually have to make a decision not to go. But it'll trip me up because I'll discover, oh, it's 25 degrees and I only put out one shirt. Uh, I don't know if I want to go back upstairs. Like if there's some friction, it becomes difficult, right? But I make the point, like I see them. I have to choose not to go running because I put the clothes there. That's, there's friction removed for me to go running. Does that make sense? Like for you, some of you are gonna have made this promise a couple of times. I'm going to stop drinking soda. A bunch of you have, have done that, right? But there's soda in the house, so you drink it, right? If you want to make it a frictionless decision, you have to make the choice at the grocery store. If it's not in the house, you can't drink it. Frictionless decision, right? But when you go, well, we like to keep some on hand for friends, well, then those friends drink the soda, and that's you, right? So if it's frictionless, it's the way it goes. So here's what I want to do for you. I want to make following the will of God frictionless for you. I know you're sinners, and so I can't remove that for you. That's not my job. But I want to make it as frictionless as possible for you in this new year to seek and serve the will of God. You've got to remove the obstacles if you want to seek and serve the will of God. You've got to, as humanly possible, remove as many obstacles to make it frictionless. That's what I want to try to do for you today. Prepare to be upset with the words I'm going to say. Now, I'm going to follow the book of James James is a pretty hostile book, so I'm going to adopt his tone, and we're going to go in that direction, okay? We'll talk about James in a minute. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the big idea. We're going to talk about seeking God's will in the new year, and since I was gone last week, you don't get three points, you get four. So here are our four points. This is what we're going to look for. God has an opinion on his planning. Oh, he does. Even those of you who say, I don't do resolutions, you are planners upon planners, and God's got an opinion. Number two, you've got to remember who you are always when you seek the will of God. Three, you've got to submit every plan to God. And number four, obedience is God's will. It's God's will for you to obey him, by the way. It really is. 
that's where we're going to go. Let's talk about James real quick. I use the book of James. Uh, again, I like to go through an entire book of the Bible, but you got these one-off sermons, you got to find a passage. Here's the book of James. James was the half-brother of Jesus, and he was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. So the big old church in the capital of Israel, Jerusalem, their pastor was the half-brother of Jesus. And so in this book of James, if you've ever studied it, it is straightforward. It doesn't mince words. It's frictionless. It is this is what you're supposed to do, not do. It's not graceless, but it is frictionless. And that's the book we're going to use for this. So let's hop in. You guys ready? We're going to seek God's will. You ready? First thing, God has an opinion on the planning. John, James 4 says this, Come now, you who say, he uses an example. Hey, today or tomorrow... We will go into such and such town and spend a town a, a, a year there, trade and make profit, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. He's like, hey, he's talking to all of you planners. All of you who's like, hey, tomorrow we're going to go to this. He doesn't even create a town. He goes such and such. So he, you know he's using an example to try to relate to you. So every one of you who have ever made a plan, anything, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You've got no idea. Now, he's not going to tell you not the plan. We're going to look at that in a minute. He's not making fun of you for planning. He's trying to create an under, that you need to understand that God alone knows what's going to happen. Our family has tried to go down to the canal path and take a walk three times in the last week. And every single time something has happened. It's just one of those things. Someone gets sick or something happens. We want to do it. You guys understand what it is. You make a plan. You just don't know what's going to happen. Uh, our church is part of a denomination, the PCA, Presbyterian Church in America. And in our presbytery, which is the local gathering of churches, we have a missions committee. The missions committee does things like help start churches, help support churches. We oversee our college ministry and world missions. And so I'm fortunate to be the chair of that committee. So this week, seven of us got together, and we started talking about a new Spanish-speaking church. We have a pastor who just got back. And he's been down in the Dominican Republic. He can speak Spanish. He's got 30 people interested in starting a church. And we're like, we're excited about that. And we said, hey, we've got $6,000 in the budget of the Presbyterian. We're going to give you. And he's like, I'm excited. And then before that guy could get back home to Richmond, I got a phone call. And they said, hey, Gordon, that $6,000 got spent. Can you call him and tell him we don't have that $6,000? Like, I'm glad to do that. Thanks. Now, that church is going to happen. It's going to go forward. We're going to do what we can to support it. But just like that, we had made a plan and went poof. Okay? Now, let's talk about you. Every one of you have got a plan. A bunch of you are going to go to work tomorrow. Some of you are going to go to work today. We've got a bunch of kids who are going back to school tomorrow. And a lot of that is just going to happen. It's just going to happen. And it's not like this passage is trying to tell you Hey, don't make any plans for that because you've got to make sure you've got clothes to wear. You've got to make sure you've got food to eat. You've got to put things in there. The point of this is only God knows what's going to happen. And he definitively has an opinion about what you're going to do because he is omniscient. Omniscient is the word that means God knows everything. God even knows every probability that could happen. But he definitively knows what's going to happen. Because we saw in the book of Romans back in November that God even ordained and planned what was going to happen. He is sovereign as your worst nightmare. He knows everything. So when you're making plans, which you have got to make plans for, you do. 
You made plans to be here, and you're here. Thank God. I'm glad to see you all. But the thing that this passage wants you to know is that God has an opinion on how you approach those plans. God has an opinion about how you approach your plans. A bunch of you will tell me, Gordon, I don't do resolutions. I don't do New Year goals. You all have resolutions and New Year goals, every one of you. You may not write them down. You may not want to be that kind of person. But if I asked you, hey, would you like to be more sick or less sick next year? You go, I want to be less sick. Well, then you've got goals and resolutions. Like, would you read, like to read your Bible more or less next year? You would say, I'd like to read it more. You all have plans. What we need to recognize as we make them, the way we should approach our way to God and our face to God is God has a view on the way I am planning. He has an opinion on how I plan. Why? Because he knows how everything is going to work out. That's where we start. We start with this posture of God has an opinion on the choices that I make. Are we good? This one's easy. Now it's going to get a little harsh. Let's go to our next one. You got to remember who you who you are. He goes, tell, hey, all you people who are planning to go to work tomorrow, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then poof, you're like Kaiser Sose. Poof, you just vanish. Anyone know that reference, by the way? Thank you. I appreciate someone. Anyway, I'll tell you about it later. You're like a mist, all of you, that's here for a moment and poof, you are gone. That sounds depressing. Yesterday I went to sport clips. I don't know why I ever quit going to sport clips. For 25 bucks, they cut your hair, wash your hair, scalp massage, vibrating chair, and a massage. For 25 it's the great, I don't know why I ever left. And I get to watch sports the entire time. Now, they're doing their wash. And ladies, you guys got to charge like 50 bucks to get your hair washed, right? I don't even know what's going on with that. But anyway, so I'm sitting there, and they're, oh, I forgot the, the hot towel on your face. You get a hot towel treatment as well. So I'm sitting there, and you can't see anything because you got this hot towel. And all of a sudden, up in the light, I see all this smoke. I'm like, oh, no, the place is on fire. It's just the smoke from the hot towel treatment, just for that little moment. Now, where did it come from? It can't, it, it, hot water, right, and the whole thing. See, mist has a point. It comes from something. It comes from water. It's heated up, and mist comes from something. It derives itself from something else. So when we look at this, it's not trying to humiliate you. It's not trying to say, hey, you're just a mist, and you go. It's not humiliating you at all. It's humbling you. You see the difference? Humiliating you is trying to make you feel awful for who you are. Humbling you is trying to remind you of a perspective. And so for all of us as we make plans, what he's got for you in the book of James is a perspective. Understand who you are before a holy and righteous and omniscient God. He is eternal and you are finite. And he wants us to understand this in the context of making plans. You see, in the making of our plans, and I've become much more of a planner as my life has grown along, because you start to get towards 50, and you've got, I'm now looking at the point where I like, there's a latter part of my life, right? I'm moving towards the back third, right? And so plans mean more to me at this point in time than they did when I was 25. But for all of you, you're making plans. Am I going to college? Am I going to work? Am I going to buy a house? Am I going to sell a house? Am I going to take a new job? Am I going to have an extra kid? All those things are rolling around for all of us. And what God desires for you is not to humiliate you because you're a creature and he's eternal, but to humble you. And say, listen, you derive your life 
from God, just like that mist derives itself from water being heated up. You derive all of the gifts of your life from God. But yet, you're finite. You're temporary on this world. Wonderfully, though, you serve an eternal, gracious God who gives you life. So when you are making plans, you must recognize that humility before him. That means when you make a plan, just like it says a minute ago, we got to say, you know, if it's God's will, we'll see that in a minute, I will do this. Make all the plans in the world. But don't be foolish in them. Don't be arrogant in them. Don't think that God doesn't have an opinion. And recognize that you are serving an eternal God. You derive your life from him. Point three. Submit every plan to God. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So he's saying, listen, instead, here's the plan. Make your plan. Make your plan. And then say, if it's God's will. I don't want to do anything unless it's God's will. Because that's an act of obedience. So, all that big list I just gave you. I'm going to go to this college if it's God's will. I'm going to have another kid if it's God's will. I'm going to take this job if it's God's will. I'm going to get him and go running tomorrow if it's God's will. Sometimes God imposes that will on you very quickly. And sometimes you're in search of it. Now, it makes sense to do this because that's what Jesus did. Do you remember way back in the book of John that we studied a couple of years ago? Jesus said that all the time. He just said, I only say what God says, and I only do what God tells me to do. John 6, he said this, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. He's like, listen, I came from heaven is what Jesus says. I was there. It's beautiful. It's a great place. I came from there. And the only thing I've come here to do is God's will. Well, if we're a mist that vanishes after a time, we should take the same approach. If it's God's will. That means that if your plan is sinful, don't do it. You can think about it. You're like, I'm just going to tell that person, I'm going to make them feel awful. Like, no, no, don't make that plan because it's not God's will. You're like, I'm just going to be distant and make this person recognize, no, 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 that's not God's will. I'm going to take this job, but this job is going to make it so that I cannot serve God. No, no, no. Every plan you make has got to be submitted to the will of God. That means it's 100% fine to make plans for things that God's told you to do. But then there's the element of like, but is that God's will or not? We're going to talk about that in a minute. But if you made a plan, if you got together with anybody and planned out a single thing in the last week, if you have any idea of what you're going to do tomorrow or in 2020, this is the posture of every Christian in the room. It's the caveat to whatever you want to do. But I will not do it if it's not the will of God. Cruising through here, you guys are going to have some time for my opinions at the end. Let's look at this at the end. Obedience is God's will. That's redundant. Successively and repetitively redundant. Obedience is God's will. As it is, now when he says that, what James is getting ready to do is, he's getting ready to tell you and tell me, We haven't been doing all the stuff I just told you. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. 
All such boasting is evil. Anytime we make a plan, apart from submitting it to God's will, we are boasting because we're saying we're going to do it on our own, and that's arrogant. Anytime you make a plan and you don't submit it to the will of God, that is boasting. Most of us don't like boasting unless it's in the sports realm. We love our athletes to boast because it makes for good clips on SportsCenter, makes for good stuff on Instagram. But ultimately, boasting is saying, I am this way in and of myself, apart from God. So if you make a plan of any sort, apart from the will of God, what you're doing is you're boasting, and that boasting is arrogance. Verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, For him it is sin. If you know the will of God, if you know it and you don't do it, it's a sin. Now, this is fantastic. Let me explain the two wills of God. Okay? There's two wills of God. There's the known will of God, and there's the unknown will of God. Okay? Unknown will of God is whatever he's going to do in the future. I've got no idea, and neither do you. What's the known and the revealed will of God? What is that? That's the scriptures. That's the scriptures. You know what to do. You've got a Bible. The Bible commands you to do certain things and prohibits you from doing other things. And that's called the known or the revealed will of God. And so that verse is saying, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's a sin. Now, how much anguish do we have over the unknown will of God? God, please tell me what to do. Please tell me what to do. Please tell me what to do. And I want you to pray that prayer. And if I was God, which for your sake I'm glad I'm not, but if I was God, I'd be very snarky. And I would say, I've told you what to do. Pages and pages and pages of what to do. And you're not doing that. And you want me to tell you all the stuff you don't know? Thankfully, I'm not God. God's very gracious, much more gracious than I am. But let's think practically. If you know what obedience looks like, if you know what God has commanded you to do or commanded you not to do, if you're not doing that, it's a sin. So why in the world would we boast in doing things that we don't know about? In fact, if you would like to grow closer to the will of God, then seek his will in the scriptures and obey. His unknown will somehow becomes so much more clear when we're obeying his known and revealed will. If you find yourself just lost, like you are a ship on the ocean, tossed back and forth because you're like, God, I don't know what to do. And I've had it, and I imagine you've all had it. If you find yourself in that way or in that situation, the solution out of it is to seek the known will of God and do that. Align your life as much as possible to what you know God wants you to do. One, you'll have less anxiety about the unknown will, and you'll find yourself walking more in his blessing so that his unknown will becomes more and more clear. This is the practical, hitting the road as practical as we can get when you're trying to figure out what should I be doing. Obedience is God's will. Now, before we move to our conclusion, friends, uh, we typically end with a truth, application, and action. We're not going to do that yet. This is where I'm going to take a moment of pastoral privilege. 
and give you some biblical exhortation for the new year. And I promise you, I'm going to gear it as biblical as possible. And this is the portion that I'll probably get quoted on. So if we're rolling tape, we're fine. So let's talk about the new year, friends. Let me gear it in Scripture. Uh, Jesus told us this, that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? Have we ever heard this? Like, if you're trying to figure out what to do ever, that's the groundwork. Those three L-Ys. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor like you love yourself, okay? So what that means is the big thing we need to be doing, the highest goal we should all have is that you need to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You need to be gearing your life towards loving him with your heart and your soul and your mind. Your entire being should be seeking to love God, right? And then we know you love yourself, right? I love me some me, you love yourself some you, right? And so he goes, listen, you got to love yourself if you're going to take care of yourself, but you got to try to love your neighbor as much as you love you. That's what those verses say. So let's talk about what that looks like in 2020 for all of us, okay? How many of you have ever, don't raise your hands, how many, <laughs> how many of you ever said, in the new year, I'm going to read my Bible more? Okay? Now, I'm very glad you've said that. That's not a resolution, though. That's obedience. Because we're commanded to study, to show ourselves a workman rightly approved, dividing the word of truth, right? You're commanded to read your scriptures, and so am I. So if your resolution is, I'm going to read it more, good. But what you're really saying is, hey, in 2020, I'm going to obey. If you don't have a life of continual and habitual biblical study, you are sinning. I'm going to adopt the tone of James. If you're not studying your scripture, you are boasting in your arrogance because you're making plans apart from what you know to be true. So I'm going to tell you, for everyone, all of a sudden, all the plans you made for next year need to be wrecked until you're pursuing the known will of God more in Scripture. Because it's God's will for your life for you to know His will. If you want to be more like Jesus, read the Scriptures. Find a way. Do you know, if, if you had... The brain power to do it. I don't have it. If any of us, if you began reading at just an average reading level, if you started at Genesis one, do you know how long it would take you to get to Revelation? Like just, a, I mean, we're just talking about. A, and I, I know some of us have difficulty reading. We got different things going on. It would take you fifty hours. Fifty hours. Like you could could commit two days to it, stay and read through it. Right. And some of us said, "I'm going to read through the whole Bible in a year," and that's a great plan. Those plans are fantastic. But it's 365 days. Like, it just doesn't take that long to read the Scriptures. And I'm not even challenging you to read the whole Bible in a year. I'm just challenging you to read your Bible. Like, for you and me, we're facing our hobby. And at some point in time, you've got to go, man, I haven't read my Bible in forever. My hobby is a waste of time and useless if I'm not seeking the will of Scriptures. I will offer that if you're not seeking the will of God in scriptures and you pursue your hobby, your hobby is sin. Have a hobby, please, in its proper perspective and in its proper place. Prayer, 
You and I are called to cast every single care upon the Lord. Command. If you've got a care, cast it on God. Like, hey, here, you take this. I'm awful at handling it. I'm terrible at handling it. My anxiety and worry has overwhelmed me. You take it. Like, we're commanded to pray. And here's the thing. Prayer is not an awful thing. It is spending intimate time with your Heavenly Father and your Savior and the Holy Spirit. It's awkward because we just don't do it. And I'll offer this to you, friends. If you don't have a prayer life, if you don't have a biblical study life, there are wonderful godly women and men in this church that will help you. Come to me. I will point them out to you. And every one of us will go, I can tell you where I struggle. Most of the time, you got too much friction that's keeping you from spending time in the Scriptures. you got to make it frictionless. You got to make it frictional. What do you have to get out of your life to make the study of Scripture and prayer more a part of your life? I'm still in the loving the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, right? I'm still in that part, right? Now, most of us here, all of us here, excuse me, are in the context of some sort of family, right? Some of us are husbands, wives, children. We're all in part of our family. And God has placed you in that family and commanded you to live in a certain way in that family, right? Husbands, what are you supposed to be dying doing? You're supposed to be dying for your family. You're supposed to die like Jesus for your family. So that means that what you're supposed to be doing is killing every part of your life that keeps you from loving your family well. That's biblical. So think about it. Men, you're supposed to kill anything in your life that keeps you from loving your family well. I know several of you who are crippled by college debt. Crippled by it. I'm not even going to beat you up for it, okay? A college debt when I went to college, it, 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 listen, it happens. We can have a whole other thing about that. We'll talk about it later. But some of you have got it, right? And your life is on hold until something's done about that. We'll go do something about that. Budget, second job. Go earn a new skill to get a better job. But nothing happens unless something happens. But some of your lives are on pause until something happens. Prayer with your family. Ladies, you are honoring God in, in, in serving and caring for your families, imitating Christ, excuse me, the church to Christ, right? Some of you are working. Some of you are working at home. Anything that's standing in the way of that, kill it. Kill it. Put it to death. This is the known will of God. It's what it is. It's the known will of God of the way in which we should do this. We're called to serve in the church. If you're a member of Evident Grace Fellowship, you took a vow to serve here, right? The vows you took was that you were going to serve with as much effort and ability that the Holy Spirit would give you, and you're going to pursue the peace and the purity of this congregation. You swore by God you were going to do that. So you've got your relationship with God, you've got your relationship with your family, you've got your relationship with here. Let me offer this, and I don't know if you've ever thought of it. Uh, come at me, bro, if you don't believe me, okay? I just mentioned two vows, right? I mentioned a wedding vow, and I mentioned a vow to the church. God takes every vow you make equally. Every vow the same. Why? Because when you make a vow, listen to me here, don't let me lose me. 
I, I know I'm going long. Hang in here with me. Every vow you take, that means what you're saying is, by the character and power of God, I'm going to do this. That's what a vow means. You're not saying, I've got an imminent power. I'm not saying I'm imminently strong. When you take a vow by God, you're saying, by the character and the power of God, I'm going to do this. So every vow you make, God takes that equally because you're swearing by him. That's why the Old Testament says you don't need to take a whole bunch of vows. Okay? So we have vows to be married. We have vows to be a part of the church. We have vows to raise our kids. You might take a vow for military service or police service, but we don't need to be taking a whole bunch of vows. So what that means when it comes to serving the church is that you swore by the character and the power of God to serve here to maintain peace and purity. When you got married, you did the same thing. Now, guess what you didn't say? I know, because I've done some of your weddings, and I've done a bunch of membership vows. You never said, hey, if that other person stays pretty, I'm going to love and serve them. You didn't say, hey, if that church keeps rocking with all my needs being taken care of, I'm going to love and serve them. You don't get to place on the other person or object anything, because you took the vow by the character and the power of God. They're just the object by which you swore by God. So we don't get to blame our spouses if our passion rises and falls. We don't get to blame the church if our passion rises and falls. You don't get to blame anybody because you said, by the power of God. Wonderfully, you swore by the power of God. Anybody or anything who stands in the way of you keeping your vow, get rid of. Anybody or anything that gets in the way of you keeping your vow, get rid of. Imagine your best buddy came up to you and said, man, your wife's not really taking care of herself. You'd be like, what, bro? It's like, you know what? You know what? Your, your husband mm, it's not making it happen. I would hope you would look at that friend and say, we need to spend less time together. Why? Because you took a vow by God to love and serve them, right? Now, this is where the quote happens. So we need to pay attention to make sure the tape is rolling. It works the same way for the church. Someone gets in your ear and starts beating the church up that you swore by God to love and serve, let them roll. Let them roll. Am I telling you not to spend time with your friends? No, of course not. But if they stand in the way of you keeping your vows, let them roll. Call them to repentance. But we don't put people in our lives who teach us to break our vows because they're teaching you to sin. Hey, listen, it works the same way with sharing the gospel with nonbelievers. I hope you are spending time with gospel and nonbelievers. We're going to offer training this year. If they are preventing you from keeping your vows, you can't spend time with them. works in any way. You've sworn by God to do things. Again, all I'm telling you guys here is if you know the good to do but don't do it, it's a sin. Listen, this is not burdensome. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm talking about the power and the character of God enabling you to obey. And obedience is God's will. And you're like, Gordon, I can't do any of this. And I say, praise God. We now have the posture of humility instead of the posture of arrogance. Christ died so that you might obey. Christ died so you might be more like Jesus Christ. Thankfully, we serve a good and gracious God who that when our fervency dims, the Holy Spirit comes in and reignites the fire. If your fervency for your spouse or your fervency for the church 
or your fervency for the scriptures and prayer is dimming, pray, pray, pray for the Holy Spirit to reignite that fire. Surround yourselves by people who will point you towards the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ to enable you to glorify God. Listen, we all, your pastor, we all fall into moments where our fervency dims. I have to remind myself that the only scripture I look at can't just be the prep for you. I have to have scripture to feed my soul as well. And it dims just like yours does. That's why there's grace for all of us. And it is evident and it is full and abundant. But when we make a plan, we start with, I know this is the good to do. I need to do that. And then we plan in humility. And we surround ourselves by others who speak towards grace. And we put others at arm's distance who are pushing us to be counter to what we know is the right and the good to do. I think I've got time to wrap us up here. I didn't, man, I've got notes I didn't get to touch. You guys better be glad we're back in Romans next week. I got stuff. I didn't even get to the point about physical care of the body. We'll get to that some other time. Let's do this right here, friends. This is our big idea. Here are our four points. Let's jump into our truth. Our truth is this. Seeking God's will is about obedience and making plans and humility. If you want to seek God's will, do it humbly. Do it humbly. And then obeying what you know he's commanded you to do. The scriptures are full of commandments of what to do and what not to do. And if you want intimacy and guidance towards his unknown will, seek that. But do it in humility. Application. Let's live this way. Live knowing that seeking God's will is a grace-filled opportunity for you to be more like Jesus. Father, I don't know what to do. Wonderful. There's so much grace and mercy for you to be like Jesus. If you're asking, God, I don't know what to do, what you're really asking is, God, I want to be like Jesus. I need the grace and mercy to help me to do it. Action. We'll wrap up here. Drench your heart and mind in God's will this year by reading more of his word. Please, please read more of the scriptures. What you know is God's will. You will never regret seeking to obey God. Ever. Zero regret, regrets. You may be all scared to. If you want to know what I didn't have time to talk about, let's grab coffee. We'll get to it this week. Guys, we are poised as a church for God to do great things. Absolutely poised. There's no reason to look at what God is doing and has done to be discouraged. We've just gone through the rise and fall of any other people of God. We have yet to spend 40 years in the desert, everybody. Yet. It has not happened for any of us. We may have spent four years in the gym, but we're not close to 40 years in the desert. We are poised to be used greatly by God and to glorify Him in this coming year. And that is my prayer. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus Christ, who would live obediently in your will, would seek only to do your will. Thank you for the cross that would be a sacrifice for us, a punishment for our sin. Thank you for the resurrection that would give us hope for transformation and change. And Father, thank you that you have never abandoned us, never forsaken us. 
And we offer all this in Jesus' name. Amen.